0: So this semester, uh, we are doing a series here for RUF called uh, Parables, Simple Stories with Spiritual Significance. I'm going to move this more to the center. Um, uh, Last week, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we discovered that Jesus provides us with safety and security that we all long for. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking. Uh, we're going to continue in that series, but we're going to be looking at a different parable. This is the parable of the lost sheep from Luke fifteen one through seven. It's printed on your you know little handouts. Um, we're going to be tackling the issue of acceptance. Uh, in our passage tonight, Luke is going to tell us about uh, two kinds of like false acceptance and a true acceptance, and how to get that true acceptance. The reason we're talking about this is because. This is something we all long for deep in our hearts. It's why many of us join teams or organizations. Maybe you tried the cross one time because your buddy asked you to come along with him and you uh, said yes and there you were with a cross stick and you had no idea how to do any of it, but you felt like at least this person felt like I belonged here, you know. Uh, Maybe... You went rock climbing one time, and you felt the camaraderie that was there in the gym, and you said, man, i got to do this over and over and over again, uh, because that made you feel um, uh, like you belonged. Um, In fact, I I hope, uh, it's my hope that RUF is this for you, that when you come through these doors on a Tuesday night, you feel like you belong here. Um, I know that we'll inevitably have uh, some folks maybe here tonight that are like, I mean, I don't do anything because of other people. I don't care what other people think of me. I don't care what other people say about me. I could do life all by myself forever and ever. Um, that might be you tonight. Um, but I, I'll submit to you that even even not needing people and being, like, that kind of person is still, like, somewhat of a sense of belonging. You just belong in not belonging, right? Like, uh, that might seem a little heady, but... Um, What I'm saying is, all of us, in some way or another, want to find ourselves as a part of something bigger than ourselves, as a part of something that cares for us and uh, will protect us, and uh, yeah, it's still a kind of acceptance to fit into a culture that doesn't like to be accepted. (laughs) So, uh, the Bible um, is also going to claim that this is what we want. From its earliest chapters, God says, uh, when he creates everything, and it's just one man alone, that it's not good. So he creates Eve, and then he pronounces that it's very good. Uh, this is the one thing that's wrong with creation when he creates it, that, that humans belong with one another. So tonight we'll be answering that question. How do we find acceptance? How do we find this belonging? Let's let's read about it. Uh, this is Luke 15, 1 through 7. Uh, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, um, please help me to explain your word rightly tonight and uh, help the hearts of these students who are here to receive it uh, rightly, to respond to it, uh, to hold fast to it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's dive into this passage. We're seeking to answer the question: Where and how do we find acceptance? Look with me at verses one and two. That's where we're going to start. Right from the jump, Luke introduces us to these two groups of people: the sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees and scribes. Uh, they're kind of kind of serve as foils to one another. They're, they're even going to show back up in the parable that follows. And you'll note as Jesus sums it up in verse seven that from the perspective of heaven all people fall into one of these two groups, right? They're either, you know, in the pharisaical scribe group or they're in the tax collector and sinner group. But what does it look like to belong to one of those two groups? Well, let's start by looking at the scribes and Pharisees. What are they like? We've had this group pop up before, right, in uh, in the previous two parables, actually. A scribe was the audience of one and then the Pharisee was in the other parable. Um, And we discussed in both of those that these men would have been uh, very highly valued in the ancient Near East. They had a reputation um, a, you know, across countries and across landscapes of being like very zealous for the law, of being really good people. Um, if, you, if, if you had met one of these uh, scribes and Pharisees, you probably would have wanted to be friends, or at least you would have walked away thinking, that person is a good person. Um, but... Uh, the problem is the one detail Luke provides about these Pharisees is important, right? This is how he's going to sum up what these people are really like. He says that they are grumblers. This grumbling is the great identifier of the self-righteous. Uh, this, is, this is how Luke marks them out and how he differentiates them. These people are grumbling. What, what are they grumbling about? Well, look with me again at verse 2. They complain, this man receives sinners and eats with them. It's difficult for these uh, Pharisees and scribes to comprehend how Jesus could possibly invite sinners and tax collectors at, to his table to be his friends. Uh, why? Um, well, sinners and tax collectors were notoriously bad people. Uh, sinners is just like a blanket term could be applied to people who, uh, who are sexually immoral, or it could apply to people who... Um, who steal or lie or cheat or, you know, any of the other things that the Bible would look down upon, we probably would do the same. Uh, Those, uh, he lumps those people in one category, and then these tax collectors in particular are notoriously bad people. Uh, They overcharge in taxes so that uh, they can pocket the difference. (laughs) Uh, And so they actually have an incentive to just be very, very greedy. Uh, And they were notoriously greedy. And... uh, this This reality that these people are being invited to dine with Jesus cares at the very nature of the of the group of Pharisees and scribes um, think, think about how they belong to their group. think about how they identify with each other it 's their moral performance that binds them together right it 's why they're indignant together um, luke doesn 't say that one said this and one said another. They're all grumbling basically the same thing, and that is, I can't believe Jesus is eating with those people, with those that riffraff, with those, those terrible sinners. Um, and why, why does it bother them so much? Uh, because what he's doing is, he's say, uh, Jesus, just by inviting these people, he's saying, uh, these people are dignified, they're worthy of love, they're cared for, and that tear, and and it says they're they're on equal plane with you, and that tears at the fabric of their group that is like based upon being higher and looking down at other people. Um, the problem, the thing is, uh, we're probably tempted to be like, yeah, like hypocrites. I hate that group. But before we're too quick to like round in on this one group and and distance ourselves from them, I think it's worth asking if we're more like this group than we'd probably like to believe. Uh, think about it like this. Uh, you need to ask yourself the question, are you here at RUF tonight because this is what good people do? Um, this is what you're expected to do. You go to RUF. Uh, a lot of people, this is the reality in the church, a lot of people come to church because it's what good people do, right? They're not like those sinners out there who don't believe in God and who are mean and nasty and whatever. And they they come to the church to be like some sort of like holiness club, right? They belong more to this group, this uh, this group of Pharisees and scribes, and then they do to uh, a group that Jesus actually wants to hang out with. Um, They come to basically self-celebrate. And this is not what Jesus wants. In fact, when he tells the parable, he'll, he'll... Uh, act like this group is the 99 sheep, and he'll say that Jesus would rather run after one sheep. If you notice, this seems kind of odd, doesn't it? That the shepherd, he asks it like it's self-evident, but that a shepherd would run after one sheep when he's got 99 still to tend to. But the reality is that one sheep is more prized to him than a whole flock of 99. Um, And so he's basically uh, condemning this sort of attitude that looks down on other people. And this brings us to our first answer of the evening to our question, how do we find acceptance? Well, one way, we can find it wrongly in our goodness, in our moral performance. Uh, I'm a big fan of the musical Hamilton. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story. I hope so by now, because if you're not, you're living on a rock. Uh, but it's, it's based on the life of Alexander Hamilton. Uh, but the narrator of the whole story is actually not Alexander. It's, uh, it's Aaron Burr. And his, his chief claim to fame, so to speak, is that he actually shoots Alexander Hamilton. That's, that's uh, you know, why he's in the movie or why he's in the, the musical. And, and throughout this musical, uh, Aaron Burr keeps, uh, well, Hamilton keeps continuing to like climb the ranks and he's always, you know, in the big decision-making moments, he's, he's there, and he's, he's got rank and a position and performance. He's, uh, at one point, uh, Aaron Burr is looking at Hamilton longingly, and he's saying, I want to be in the room where it happens. There's a whole big musical number about being in the room where it happens, trumpets, all that stuff. It's great. But the, the, the drive of Aaron Burr's life is to be in this elite inner ring where the decisions get made, right? He wants to be in this room where it's just just the real playmakers, just the real shot callers are there. Um, and if we're honest, like this is kind of what appeals to us too, right? Uh, that's why uh, Burr is supposed to be a somewhat tragic character because you kind of want it for him. Like He's like longingly, really, I just want to be in the room where it happens, right? And you're like, I do too. I want you to be there. Um, because it sounds like a great thing. Um, but uh, here's the problem. This search for an inner ring... It's it's a game of comparison, right? All all self righteousness is born of a, of comparison. Uh, that's why the, the these Pharisees and these scribes grumble by lifting up those who are below them on this you know social totem pole. They have no standard by which to measure like the exclusivity of their group. Um, C.S. Lewis in his essay The Inner Ring he's going he's to describe it like this the allure of the room where it happens he's going to talk about it like this he argues that it's not even the inclusion into the inner ring we desire but rather the exclusion of others from it I'll say that again it's not, it's not really inclusion in this inner ring that we, that we want so desperately it's, that's not what appeals to us it's actually the fact that like, no one else is in this ring with us uh, he's going to say it like this your genuine inner ring exists for exclusion There'd be no fun if there were no outsiders, right? If it was just you guys, then it's not an inner ring at all. The invisible line would have no meaning unless most people were on the wrong side of it. Exclusion is not an accident. It's the essence. In other words, like the Pharisees, when we base our acceptance uh, on our resumes or on being in some exclusive group on, on looking down on the people out there, what we're saying is uh, we're making a game of comparison that we're always going to lose because there's always some other ring that's looking down at you. There's always some more elite spot. That's why Burr ends up blowing blowing up and and uh, and like can't handle it when uh, Hamilton is just ahead of him. I mean, the guy was having a great life, if you consider him. He's a senator of New York, but that's not good enough because there's always somebody ahead of him. Um, but what about... What about those people who don't belong, right? Uh, that's, we've talked about people who do belong, but what about those who don't? Maybe you've been sitting here like, yep, and you know what? That kind of like pharisaical attitude is why I don't go to church. Uh, that's why like before maybe coming to RUF tonight, I've avoided churches because I felt like they were just people self-congratulating, patting each other on the back on how good they were. Um, or you're thinking, honestly, I would go anywhere if it just meant people would include me at all. Um, no one really wants me on their team I've never been invited You talk about all these things like uh, People want me there But I, I've never felt that uh, And if that's you um, Jesus is going to talk about you too As I, as I mentioned earlier uh, Luke also describes a second group of people um, Before we talk about how Jesus you know Includes these people uh, I think it's important to identify What they're not like The tax collectors and sinners Right? That's the other group that Luke mentions In verse 1 these men and women also get one descriptor, right? Just like the Pharisees and the scribes, they get one descriptor from Luke, and that is uh, in verse 1, they were drawing near to Jesus. Note that it doesn't say they were drawing near to one another. Uh, There's a sense in which this can also happen. Um, Just like with the Pharisees and scribes, uh, sometimes groups of uh, sinners can also, like, gather around and have this be the common denominator. This is the thing that marks us. Um, and there's uh, plenty of communities that do this. Um, while the, and here's the problem. Both of these people are lost, right? Um, when the self-righteous inflate their own righteousness to like exclude other people, um, this kind of community also minimizes their own sinfulness at the cost of other people, right? In Luke's day, this would have been like the tax collectors. This is essentially what they do. Uh, we even hear of one in Luke 19. Uh, Luke tells us about this one tax collector named Zacchaeus, right? And uh, Zacchaeus, was a little man, climbed a tree, whatever. Yeah, okay. That guy, um, he's, a, he's called a head tax collector. Why? Why? What does that mean to be a head tax collector? It means that he actually collected, like, the taxes from the people who collected taxes. Um, he was the chief of the, the greedy. And uh, this man... Uh, this Zacchaeus uh, is is basically in charge of enforcing and telling these people what you 're doing isn 't that bad you know like you should actually give a little bit more you should actually take a little bit more uh, despite the fact that it 's a burden to all these people you 're taking from take a little bit more it 's not it 's not that terrible um, that 's his whole job um, and suddenly when you 're in this chamber of everyone telling you that it 's not so bad suddenly the the sins you 're committing doesn't don 't seem so egregious um, Honestly, today, uh, and I say this with a little bit of trepidation because I know that this is like a tough subject. But like today, this group is probably most evident on the issues of like sexuality and partying. Probably on our campus, that's probably the most like obvious group uh, that like kind of rallies around and affirms whatever you want. Nobody can tell you what's right or wrong. You do uh, you, however that means. Um, the point of life in these groups is to get drunk hook up and repeat, Uh, like scratching an itch, Um, you know, and and the the question is, like, what more could there be in life? This is the life, doing these things, Um, and before we get too far, I was once one of these people who was, like, don't tell me what to do with my life. I, like, I enjoy partying. I was in a frat in college. Like, I, like, wanted, I wanted it all. That was, that was the dream for me, but the Bible doesn't talk this way about sexuality and partying, Um, it has a really specific vision for sexuality, and this, like, butts up against everything our culture says, which says, like, sexuality is your own choice, and no one else should talk about it, Um, but this isn't, and, like, the whole group looks inwardly, and you find acceptance here, right? Like, when you uh, take, if you think about sexuality, um, there's whole groups that spring up around the idea that, like, you deserve sex in whatever way you want it. Um, The really, really ugly version of this is like the incel movement that's happening, right? The idea that like these men who want to have sex and can't, um, they go online, they go to Reddit or some other forum, and they like basically tell each other, it's not fair, you're right, uh, and, and honestly spur each other on to like violent acts against women. And like this is what happens when you tell people, over and over again, what you do with your body is your business, and guess what? You deserve to have sex. You deserve to have love. You deserve, and you conflate those two things, by the way. Um, this is what happens in these groups, but this isn't the way the Bible talks about it. It is, it is uh, God's business, what you do with your body, because he created it. Think about Adam. Um, the The biblical picture of sexuality is so much more beautiful. Think of Adam. He's filled with ecstasy, ecstasy as he's united with his wife Eve, Right? And Genesis 2, he bursts out in song, in literal song. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He sings a song because he's just so overwhelmed with the, with the reality of the gift that God has given him. Um, and he's excited about the way God has designed it. Um, But the Bible doesn't talk this way about partying either, right? In the biblical story, uh, alcohol is a gift to be stewarded uh, and enjoyed because it's given by God. Uh, Think about Psalm 104, 14 through 15. Um, It says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. This is the biblical picture of feasting, right? Not getting, like, blackout drunk um, and not remembering anything that you did. The biblical picture of of feasting is to gladden and strengthen the heart, not dull it. Uh, Look with me at verse 5 here in the passage uh, that we're we're in today. Jesus says sinners of all varieties, whether it's sexual or substance abuse or lying or greed or pride or envy or gossip, things we have all done, for the record, um, and this is what makes, like, the first group so heinous, right, that they... Like these Pharisees and scribes don't think they've done any of these things, but they have Um, inside the church and out. We're all guilty of these things. Um, Whether in any of those groups, whether you've done any of those things, they're all like sheep who have gone so far away from their shepherd that even the shepherd, uh, even if the shepherd were to find them, um, he'd have to literally lay them on his shoulder and carry them home, right? This is a very tired sheep. Uh, This is a very tired sheep. And this is how far our sin actually takes us away from God's love, uh, to such a place that we need rescue. Not just like to walk back, not to trace our steps back to where we were, but that you are lost and that you need someone to come and literally pick you up and take you back, to rescue you from, from the allure of these things. Uh, and this gives us our second answer to the question, how do we find acceptance? Sometimes we find it wrongly in our sin. Uh, but the reality is this is like, this is still, this is tempting too, right? I'm talking about it like it's, like it's the easiest thing in the world, but, um, but it's not. I, from my own story, I know it's not. Um, I thought whenever I was in college, uh, my freshman year I joined a fraternity, I partied, I thought the, the whole meaning of life could be found in, Finding some girl to look at me and tell me that like I was good enough and I belonged and I was accepted and I wanted I joined a frat because I thought you know like these guys who are so good they'll tell me that I'm accepted. Um, I looked anywhere I could. A lot of us come, um, a lot of us come to college and we're seeking that so desperately. Where is this group who's going to look? You're looking for them and you're looking for this group who's going to look you back in the eye and say you are accepted here. Um, and the reality is like. These things, um, at the end of the day, like, they weren't enough for me. Um, I had a buddy who had been in RUF for a long time. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with my story, but uh, I had a buddy who had been in RUF. And he'd been, like, kind of texting me and hanging out with me and, like, over the course of, like, a couple of years. And one day he just asked me how I was doing, and I told him, oh, man, I'm great. I told him all the ways I was accepted, actually. I told him, man, I'm, I'm going to be an editor of our school newspaper I'm accepted by my employer. Uh, I've got straight A's this semester. I'm accepted by my professors. I, man, let me tell you, uh, I have, oh, let me tell you about this really, really cute girl that I'm dating. I'm accepted by, like, my dating pool. I'm just, like, listing this got to this guy, all the ways I'm accepted. Um, And then, I'll never forget this, his name is Ben. He looked me in the eye, and he just said, Nick, I'm gonna be honest with you. You sound, uh, that's like a great resume, but you sound exhausted. And alone. And he was exactly right. Um, It was easy for me. uh, It was easy for me to feel like I was accepted and I belonged when I was like 10 seconds deep on a keg stand and everybody was cheering. But who was there for me whenever I was throwing up later? Nobody. Nobody was there. Um, And that's like the the reality was I was alone and I was tired. Um, Tired of searching for something I like couldn't find. Uh, St. Augustine, uh, who was a pastor and theologian in Africa in the early 400s, he said it like this, our hearts are restless until they find the rest in God. So is that you here tonight? Are you somebody who says, like, man, I don't belong to that group of, like, perfect people, and if anybody knew, if the people around me knew, like, how bad I really was, if they knew the the things I thought about, if they knew the way I lived my life, they wouldn't accept me anymore. Um, or maybe you're tired of the other groups. You're like, man, you're right, Nick. I'm like you. I'm, I've tried the other thing. I've tried finding acceptance in all these other groups that promise to deliver, and they just, they just don't. Um, if you're tired of looking for your acceptance and belonging in these two groups that can't deliver what they promise, I have good news for you. Um, there is more to life than this. Let's look at uh, verse four um, as we head into our final point. So we've said, right uh, to review our two points tonight, we said that you can find it in your goodness and you can find it in your like, sinfulness and your badness and neither of those two things is actually going to satisfy you. Uh, let's think about uh, what thing is going to actually bring us true acceptance and belonging. Verse four, Jesus asks a rhetorical question. What man, having lost a sheep, wouldn't seek after it until he found it? uh this this is probably uh the greatest hope for all humanity the fact that jesus asked this rhetorical question on this hangs the like in the balance hangs all of our hopes and dreams of being accepted um it seems self-evident to jesus but it doesn't to us we said this earlier that that god would go off after one sheep um but he does instead uh god doesn't leave us to our brokenness Um, God doesn't leave us to our self-righteousness. He doesn't want us to do that, to like puff up our chests and look down on other people, but he also doesn't leave us to to hang our heads in shame. Instead, he invites us closer to himself, um, and he goes and pursues us. Um, He searches high and low. um, On every mountain, every mountaintop, and every valley, he's looking. He walks miles and miles and miles with no end in sight, Um, but it says until he finds it, right? He won't stop. Um, this is the good news for you. Jesus won't stop pursuing you no matter what. No matter, man, no matter what. Um, he's never lost his sheep yet. He's a good shepherd, um, this is, this is the reality that we're in. We, we're sheep that have run headlong looking for something, looking for this acceptance in a lot of different areas, and the reality is all the while our shepherd is behind us just asking us to stop, to stop looking in all these other things. Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Uh, our scenario here is kind of like if, uh, if you were a child who would make mud pies in a slum, right, uh, because... Uh, you can't understand what it means for someone to offer you a holiday at sea, right? That you would be content to just play with mud um, when really all the while God is right behind you offering you a vacation by the beach side. Uh, this is our final and lasting answer for the evening's question. How do we find acceptance? We find it in the joy of our shepherd Jesus. We find it in a, in a shepherd who pursues us, who loves us, who follows after us, uh, no matter how lost we may feel. Um, whenever I was in college, I had uh, I worked at a summer camp for boys called Black, uh, Camp Timberlake for boys. It was in Black Mountain, North Carolina. I'd never been in North Carolina before, like this moment. I got there summer after my sophomore year, and uh, when I got there, I was like, "Oh my gosh, all these mountains are so cool!" Like. You know, I know they're not the Rockies, but they're, like, they're big, you know, compared to, like, here. Uh, So I, like, I get there, and I think to myself, like, man, this is going to be a great summer. And my boss at the camp tells me, hey, I know a really fun trail. You can go run. Because he finds out that I'm a runner. And I said, oh, really? Okay, cool. This is called Rainbow Trail. Um, The catch is that I'll have to, like, drive you there and then, like, drop you off. And I'll make a loop, and uh, and then I'll come and pick you back up at the bottom of the loop. It won't actually, like end in the same place it starts, but if you just keep running, you'll end up at this other place where I'll, like, drive my car to meet you at the end. Because um, it's Sorry, because it's not a loop. It won't just, like, come back to the, the start. And so I said, okay, that's fine. Um, he said, I'll meet you there in a couple hours. I said, great. Um, he said, but you can call me, actually, when you get done, um, but it shouldn't take you over a couple hours. And I said, great. Um, I know from my physique now, you're probably like, you were, like, running a couple hours. I was. Um, so uh, that, that was me. I'm running. And he tells me like, right before I get out of the car, he like kind of shouts it at the end. He goes, Hey, make sure you take the left when you get to the fork. And I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, Okay. You know, just like, right. I got it. Um, And what he didn't tell me is that this fork is really more like one trail just keeps going straight, and then there's another trail that cuts back over here. He calls that a fork. I call that like a different trail. Um, But he says, like, he says, make sure you take the left when you take the fork, or when you get the fork. I said, okay, great. Um, I missed the sign that says, like, you know, um, he told me it was like a rainbow trail or whatever. I missed the sign that says rainbow trail this way, and I just keep running. Uh, And then, uh, you know, like a couple hours pass, and then, like, another hour passes and I'm still like kind of running because I'm like I should be getting to the end of this thing right about now and then uh like I start walking because I'm getting very tired and uh finally as I get to um like honestly the sun is starting to set a little bit and this was I'd been on this trail for like five hours and I was like I must have made a wrong turn and uh there's a sign I I know this is this is cemented when I get to the sign that says Uh, like Mount Mitchell, which is 29 miles away from our camp, three miles. And I said, oh my goodness, how did I get here? I don't think the sign was accurate for the record. I don't think I'm that fast or that like endurance, but this is what it says. And I go like, oh no, like I am not remotely in the place that I'm supposed to be. Here's the problem. I've been delaying calling because I didn't want to seem like an idiot, right? This is like, this is my first interaction with my boss. And so I felt like so dumb. So I keep not calling him. And then I realized that uh, I pick up my phone and it's dead. Uh, And I was like, oh, I am, I am definitely toast in this situation. Um, uh, And so I, like, I said, well, I guess I just got to start walking back. Um, And I go, maybe ah, oh, man, maybe five minutes walking back thinking this is going to take, I'm, like, going to go all night. I don't, like, maybe there's a search party. And suddenly, like, around the bend comes my, like, camp director um, with a couple of other people um, as the sun is setting. And, he you know, there's this big reunion. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe. He's like, I figured you didn't really catch the, like, the fork. And I was like, well, because it's not a fork. It's a different trip. But that's neither here nor there. The point <laughs> is, right? That this is, like, this is the way that Jesus pursues us, right? You run and you run and you say, like, I can turn it around, I can get better, but you don't have to. Um, You don't have to trace your steps back, you don't have to make yourself better, you don't have to uh, work your way back into his good graces. Um, He is a shepherd who pursues you, loves you, cares for you, um, and he uh, he wants to climb the mountain for you pick you up and take you back with him, uh, to follow him, to be loved by him. Tonight, I want you to consider doing that. Um, Whether you're here and you're like, yeah, 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 I love Jesus, uh, continue to let him carry you. Continue to let him be the shepherd that finds you and loves you. And if you're here tonight and you haven't done that before, I want you to consider thinking about it, Uh, thinking about whether or not um, this is a shepherd you wouldn't mind uh, being loved by Um, that this is a place you could belong. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you